0: All praises to the Most High, Uh, Ahaya Asher I am Boyce Washington and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington and we say shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is the podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what it means for us today. Before we get started, we need our listeners participation. We are moving towards having a live show where you can interact with us. But we need your help. So if you could be so kind to go to our website, psychove.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com and fill out our less than 20 second survey, it would be much appreciated. We want to know out of the days and the times available, which day and time would you most be able to listen to us live? So do you have your Bibles ready? Your pen, your pad, your computer, your tablet, your phone to take notes. Let's begin our study as we continue learning about Yah's covenant and how it applies to us. Pastor, I'll turn it over to you.
1: All right, thank you very much. What we're going to do is continue our studies. Uh, Looking at this part of the study of the ones that we have already given, we want to look at what we call the redemptive meeting place. The redemptive meeting place. Now, the first text that we want to use is found in the book of Genesis. And we want to go to chapter 1. And we want to consider verse 2. And here in Genesis, verse 2, in chapter 1, it reads, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now, when we look at that text, uh, what we are seeing is that the spirit of Elohim moved upon the waters. Now, that's, that's a very important text as we deal with this particular study. And actually... That particular text is the focal point of the entire study that we're gonna have today. Now, by way of review, what we wanna do is go back a little bit as we move forward. In our discourse, we have discussed directional deliverance, and in directional deliverance, we learned that there was only one pathway to go in order to be saved, Yet in this one way, there are two directions by which salvation occurs. Elohim proceeds from one direction on the pathway, and our <clears throat> and the redemption of, of man proceeds from another direction on the same pathway. Now with this understanding of directional deliverance, We now want to focus upon what we refer to as the focal point of redemption. The focal point of redemption. We notice that in our discourse of the direction of deliverance, that on the pathway of redemption, that Yahuwah approaches man from one direction. So what we notice in our discourse is Direction of Deliverance that on the pathway of redemption, that Yahuwah approaches man from one direction and man approaches Yahuwah from another direction. What we'll notice is that as YAH and man respectively move toward one another and at a certain point they meet, keep in mind, that the only way Yah and man can seek to be in fellowship with one another is that man has to be pure, holy, and clean. And the only way that a person can be thus is that he must be purified by the lifeblood of Yeshua, our Messiah. And baptism by water, and that baptism by water. So in other words, when we uh, seek to approach Elohim, we have to be pure and clean, and that comes through the blood of Yeshua and also the water. Now, when Yah arrives at the water and man emerges from the waters of baptism, Yahua meets him. It is at this particular juncture. Of them meeting at the water is the focal point of redemption. So we have to keep in mind that the focal point of of redemption of mankind is that they have to meet at the water. Now it is at the water that our meetings with the fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve it it occurs at the water. It is at the water that Yahuwah can again be in fellowship with mankind. When we arrive at the water, if we have properly followed what we call the steps to salvation, we will meet with both our creators and redeemers. Yahuwah, who is faithful and just will always keep his end of the bargain, and if we keep our hours, we will meet at the place He has ordained. This place, this place He has ordained, is referred to as an anointed area. Let us now observe this anointed area. Now, in this anointed area is. Very strategically laid out. Now, when we deal with the anointed area, when we speak in terms of an anointed area, it is an area where the Holy Spirit of Elohim takes delight in coming into such an arena. It is very rare that Yah's Holy Spirit can find lodging. However, when the sincere heart of man has been washed and made clean by the blood of Yeshua, our Messiah, and goes down into the watery grave of baptism and comes up out of the water, Yahuwah is there to bestow his spirit upon such a one. We must meet Yahuwah at his appointed area, for it is there. That we come forth from the womb of the woman, which is the baptism of repentance of the church. Once our sins are all washed away, we are now uh, anointed with the Holy Spirit. As we have learned, when we are anointed by the Spirit of Yehoah, it means we are endorsed by him. And when we are endorsed with the Holy Spirit of Yah, we are accepted, affirmed, and approved by him. Another thing we want to observe about the focal point of redemption are the twofold aspects of this area. We refer to this area as both the spirit and the water arena and the water and the spirit arena. How this works is that from Jehovah's standpoint, we have this spirit first and then the water. And from man's standpoint, we have the water first and then his spirit. We'll start from Jehovah's standpoint. And we will name the spirit and the water aspect the Numos Aqua er, Arena, the Numos Aqua uh, Arena. All right, so we keep it in mind that as we deal with the water, Elohim, as he approaches the water, he starts with his spirit. But man, when he approaches the water, He starts with the blood. And so what we're looking at basically is that when Elohim comes to the water, he brings his Holy Spirit. And this is what we call the Numos Aqua. Numos meaning spirit and Aqua meaning water. And we call this a Numos Aqua arena. It is rather obvious that when we speak in terms of the spirit and the water, they portray to us the place where Yah's spirit becomes interactive with man's spirit after coming out of the water. It would be it would appear to me that if Yah's spirit most prominent hangout is over the water, Elohim' spirit awaits the newborn souls coming up, coming out of the womb, of the woman who is the church just as the woman gives birth just as the woman gives physical birth and the, and the child comes forth just as the woman gives the physical birth and the child comes forth, it struggles and pants for its breath of air. Even so Yahuwah awaits to breathe upon his blood-born-again souls coming out of the watery womb to give it the breath of life. Once a soul comes forth out of the waters of baptism, Yah starts his journey with such a soul to lead one into the path that merges into an eternal realm. Now, at this juxtaposition, we want to look at what we call the focal point of redemptive dynamics. The focal point of redemptive dynamics. In this part of our discourse, we want to point out, in addition to the place where Yah and man meets, but what is involved in this place of meeting. In this place of meeting, there are what we would refer to as some redemptive dynamics taking place in the appoint in the anointed arena. There are basically two redemptive dynamics, which are the spirit and the water. Let us now look at these two redemptive dynamics. The first redemptive dynamic we cover is the spirit and the water of which we refer to as the pneumo aqua dynamic. Now, the pneumo aqua dynamic. In understanding the pneumo's dynamic, we are concerning ourselves with the spirit of Elohim when Yah's Holy Spirit comes upon the the repentant who has come up out of the water of baptism that person is now set apart as holy pure and righteous once this occurs to a person such a person positions oneself to be used by him when baptism occurs from an individual for an individual it provides elohim with the necessary person to be used in his cause. However skillful, however talented, however gifted one may be, it is only by his spirit can one accomplish the task he wants them to accomplish. When we seek to try and accomplish his will by any other means, methods, or power outside of his spirit, we become vain in our attempt and lacking in our resources to do so. We must understand that if Yah's purposes are to be accomplished, he alone must do so. He has not left the success of his work to be by the hand of flesh It must be by the hand of man being led by his spirit. If holy men in days of old relied strictly upon their abilities and strength alone, never could the work of Yehoah have gone forward to accomplish what he did. They relied solely upon the unseen hand of the one who had anointed them And confided in the strength of his spirit alone. We must allow his spirit to take possession of us. Yahuwah didn't choose his spirit for us to use. He chose us to be used by his spirit. When we allow his spirit to be manifested in us, then... Will we experience the fulfillment of his purpose and the complete outworking of his will? It was at the banks of Jordan that our Savior went forth under the anointing of his Father's Spirit to accomplish the tremendous task he did. When we are cleansed by the water of the Word, and allow the spirit to work in the life, we become a force to contend with. There is a dynamic power in the spirit and the water. And as we look at this dynamic spirit of the water and the spirit relationship, while it is the power of your whole spirit that brings about the giving, That the giving of the power to perform his will. It is the water of cleansing that makes us, makes the life of us to be able to receive such power of the Holy Spirit that it might flow through us. So when we are cleansed from sin, through the blood and washed our sins away with the water, it makes us vessels that the Holy Spirit can flow through to give us the power and the ability to perform the things that Yahuwah w- wants us to perform. Now let us look at the water and the spirit of which we will refer to as the aqua pneumos dynamics. Now, we looked at the pneumos aqua. Now, we are looking at the aqua pneumos dynamic. In the understanding of the aqua pneumos dynamic, we are concerning ourselves with the water. The water baptism is a baptism of repentance, whereby all of one's sins are washed away. The water is a symbol of Yah's Word, We are sanctified and cleansed with the washing of the water of the word. So when we notice that in Ephesians 5, 26, it referenced that water is representative of the word. So the greatest need of the people of Yahuwah is a cleansing. When the water of the word has thoroughly done its work upon them or the church, then will the Holy Spirit have a place to land. Ever since the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Jehovah's people have been anticipating his descendants in an even greater measure in the end time. Perhaps we do do not as his people, perhaps we do not as his people become what he wants us to be because we aren't clean enough to receive it. There must be a daily cleansing of the life by his word for the individual believer as well as the collective believers who comprises his church. The church must, the church must be cleansed of all idolatrous teachings and practices if Jehovah's Spirit is to endorse his people. There must be a return to the teaching And practices of Yeshua. For only in his pure life. Can the father. Can the father spirit. Find a clean resting place. We are admonished to be clean. Ye that bear. The vessels of Yahuwah. So if we are to receive. The power of the Holy Spirit after baptism. And as we daily wash ourselves in the word, if we have to receive the Holy Spirit, then we have to have clean vessels. We must not see baptism merely as an function that we just perform, But we must see baptism not merely as a one-time occurrence, nor as purely as a ritualistic act. We must die daily to the selfish desires and the lustful appetites. Remember that our life is justified, or remember that our life of justification, which is the imputed righteousness, only covers our sinful life. However, it is the life of sanctification, which is the imparted righteousness, which cleanses us from our sinfulness, with the covering of the pure life of Yeshua, there must also be the needed cleansing of the life of sin by the water of the word. Our outward cleansing must be matched by our inner cleansing in order to be the landing grounds for the Holy Spirit." What we want to consider in this part of our discourse are some patterns of both the numos aqua and the aqua pneumos. We want to examine these patterns to see how Yahuwah and mankind meet at the water. Elohim wants to meet us at the water, and if we want to meet him, It has to be at the water. When we observe these scenarios, we want to see from Yah's aspect, the spirit and water. And from man's aspect, we want to see the blood and the water. What we want to keep in mind as we study what we call the water meeting patterns is that Elohim always approaches the water with the spirit. Man always approaches the water with the blood. Okay, now, we're going to examine some things here and use a little uh, imagination and to be able to see some patterns of the Numos Aqua and the Aqua pneumos. Now we're going back to Genesis in our first uh, in our first chapter. Now here in Genesis chapter one, in verse two, and the latter part of that verse says, "And the Spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters." So. What we understand here is that before he commenced the creation of man, he first had a spirit to move upon the waters. Okay. And if we notice that uh, in Genesis 2-7, uh, it says, And jehovah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here's what we're going to kind of visualize. Before man came into existence and Elohim put blood into his body and made him, he first came by the spirit over the waters. And then when he separated the waters and the earth, then man, Elohim made him first. And when you look at the name Adam and you take the A off of Adam, you have Dom. And down means blood so when he made man from the soil of the ground when he made Adam down uh, he made him with blood okay he made him with blood so when Elohim came he came with the spirit and then when he made man he made him with the blood so that means that when man came into existence he had the blood okay so the blood is what he he needed and why did he need the blood because Elohim had the spirit to supply the blood with the things that it needed in order to make him a living soul. So what we see in creation is Elohim starts with the spirit and then he has the water. But when you look at man, he starts with the blood and then moves to the water. Okay, all right. That's one pattern. Now we want to look at another pattern. Okay, the other pattern that we want to look at is found in the book of uh, Genesis. And uh, we want to look at chapter, well, we look at chapter seven, okay? In chapter seven. All right, just like in creation, so in redemption, if Elohim started with the spirit, moved to the water, and man started with the blood, and moved to the water. And when Elohim started with the spirit, and moved to the water. And when man starts with the blood moves to the water, they meet they meet at the water. So the water, as I pointed out, water is the focal point. Okay. So now when we look at Genesis chapter 7, and we we, we notice that after the flood, now we call call this the restoration. The restoration after man had sinned and Elohim destroyed the entire world with water, then how does he approach man? Okay, we want to see see how does he approach man. All right, when we look at uh, the seventh chapter, and we want to look at a, a, a few verses there. Now, here we find that it had rain, 40 days and 40 nights and all of mankind and all of the animals, they were destroyed in the flood of waters. Okay. And here we read in verse 21, it says Genesis 7, 21 said, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of the fowl and of the cattle and of the beasts, and of every creature thing that, Creepeth upon the earth and every man. Okay, so it's letting us know that the waters of uh, of the flood destroyed everything. Okay, now what we'll notice here in uh, chapter 8, in chapter 8, and here in chapter 8 of Genesis, we want to read uh, in verse number 12 verse number 12 okay now here it says and he stayed yet i mean it's talking about the dove when when the waters had abated and the waters was going off of the earth he said and he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him anymore In other words, when the dove went out the first time, since the waters were still upon the face of the earth, then the dove didn't find any place to land. And so he waited another week, and then he sent the dove out. And the Bible says that he didn't didn't come in anymore. Okay. All right. Now, what we're looking at is... Is that just like in the creation when Elohim starts something, it has to be endorsed by the Holy Spirit. So if the dove was sent out and it came back, now let us read. Let us read. uh, Let us read, and uh, the eighth chapter of Genesis. And we want to read a few verses. We want to start at verse number seven. And it says, well, let's start at verse number six. Genesis 8, 6 says, And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting for the sole of her foot, but she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening. Okay, it's actually three times. I say it twice, but it's actually three. Okay, he sent him out once, and then he came back. Now he sent him out again another seven days. And he says that on the second time that he came out, he he, he came back in the, in, in the evening. And when he came back in the evening, in verse 11, it says, And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off, so Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now, what I want you to see here is, it's two things I want you to see in this scenario. Is that when he started the creation, it was his spirit that hoovered over the waters. And now we see when he destroyed the world by water, we see two evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. The first evidence is that the dove was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Just like when Yeshua went down in the water to the grave of baptism by John, he came up. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove. Okay. So the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And then on that second time that he went out and he came back in the evening, it said that the dove had an olive leaf plucked off in his mouth. Now, notice the Bible didn't say that the leaf that the uh, dove had was floating on the water, but it said it was plucked off. So in other words, if it was plucked off, then this means that the dove broke it off. It was not something he picked up floating on the water. So what does that mean? Well, the olive the olive oil represents the Holy Spirit. So in a way, the olive leaf also represents the Holy Spirit. So now what are we out to make of this? Well, there are two things we can make of this. If the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit, was flying around trying to find a place to land, and then it discovers an olive tree and plucks off a leaf and takes it back into the ark and Noah pulls him back in, it is saying to us, out of all of the trees, why would he have an olive tree? Because the olive tree represents the Holy Spirit. Well, I think one of the things that the Bible is trying to tell us is that the only way that Elohim could start a new generation of people, they had to be pure and clean, and that the earth itself had to be pure and clean. And so to demonstrate that the earth, through the diluge of the waters of the flood, was clean, and that sin was then wiped away from the earth, is that the earth had to receive the Holy Spirit, and there had to be a... a, a the heaven had to send down the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit couldn't land until it found a decent place to land because when he sent out the raven, the raven went out and didn't come back because it was a lot of filth still on the earth and stuff and a raven can stand to deal with a lot of filth but a dove has to be in a clean place when it comes. So the Holy Spirit, when it comes to us, it has to be in a clean place. (laughs) So the earth was saying, We have received the Holy Spirit by the evidence of the olive leaf. And the dove is saying that Elohim is getting ready to endorse the earth and to bless it again. And so when he sent him out the third time, the dove didn't come back because the earth had abated the waters and the waters had dried up on the earth. So Elohim is now doing the same thing he was doing in the creation. He was approaching the earth from the Holy Spirit, the olive leaf and also the dove because olive leaf came forth out of the water and the dove flew over the waters and then when it was completely dried up then the Holy Spirit could endorse the, the world again and then and then we also see in, uh, in the 20th chapter, I mean not the 20th chapter but in Genesis 8.20, notice what it says. It said, And Noah built an altar unto Jehoah, and took a very clean beast, and a very clean fowl, and offered a burnt offering on the altar. So what do we see here? Well, we see that Elohim approaches the earth, or the water, from the standpoint of the olive leaf, and the dove, which meant he starts with the spirit. But when Noah approaches it, he starts with the sacrifice, which means that he starts with the blood. So a man, whenever he comes to the water, he has to have the blood. So he approaches it from the standpoint of the blood. <coughs> now, what we notice is that in verse 21 of the seventh chapter, it talks about how all of the dead corpse of the animals, and mankind were destroyed. Their life was gone. So that means that their blood. Their blood was the, was the thing that was used. In order to be able to approach the cleansing. Now there were only eight people saved. That was Noah. His wife and his sons and their wives. Okay. So. The sacrificial life of the world. Because they didn't get on the ark. Then they died in the deluge, but Noah, who had faith in his family, they were the one that saved. They were actually saved by looking to the blood of Yeshua. And so when they got a chance, they offered sacrifices of all of the clean animals and fowls to give it an atonement because they knew they could not approach with the Holy Spirit. They had to approach life with the blood. And so as they approached it with the blood, over the water, and Elohim approaches with the dove over the water. And when the water's right up, then mankind and Elohim can meet together and then start a new relation or a new population upon the planet Earth. Okay, so when we look at creation and restoration, we can see how Elohim starts with the Spirit, comes over the water, man starts with the blood and comes over the water, and then when man... And Elohim meets, then redemption can be formed with that individual. Now let's deal with another uh, pattern. Let's do let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. Okay, now here in Exodus chapter 14, we're gonna look at uh verse number 21. Okay. Now, if you remember when they came out of Egypt on the Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, now Elohim wants to meet him. Now uh, where where do you want to meet him? Okay, let's look at this. The Bible says, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and Jehovah caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay, now here's what we want, want to be able to see. We want to be able to see, when they came out of Egypt, in order for Elohim to approach them he had to start with the spirit, okay now the emblem or the symbol of the spirit here is the east wind, just like back in the restoration of Noah's time the symbol of the Holy Spirit was the dove but now we find the east wind is over the waters to divide them, okay now when we turn to Exodus chapter 12 okay And we look at a couple of verses, Exodus 12. We want to look at verses 21 and 22. And here we read, it says. It says, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. That is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Okay, now what we see here is that the Israelites they had approached the Red Sea or the waters with the blood because on Passover, they had to kill the appropriate, they had to kill the appropriate animal in order to be able to uh, approach the water because he was getting ready to redeem the nation. Just like he redeemed the individual, they had to start with the water. Then he had to deal with the uh, uh, water by Elohim approaching it with the spirit. So what we see, uh, Israelites started with the blood. Elohim started with the east wind, which represented his spirit over the water. Okay, now let us, in the same vein, let us turn to First uh, Corinthians In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, now here in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we want to look at a verse or two there. Okay, now here in 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll read verses 1 and 2, it says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, so in other words, when we see Israel after the Passover moving toward the sea, the Apostle Paul said that was their baptism. That was the water. Okay. So we saw the east wind is where Elohim sent over the water to divide the waters, and we see the blood that prepared man to go to the waters, and when he went to the waters, then a whole nation was baptized in that water, and as a result, when Elohim and his east wind, and when Israelites under the the blood came together, then he was baptizing a whole nation because it was purified and clean through the blood that they had put on their houses. So what we see again is Elohim through the East wind is approaching by his spirit and man by having the blood of the sacrifice is approaching the water by the blood. Okay. Okay. Let's use another scenario that we can look at. Let's use another one. Let's turn to the book of Exodus. In the 40th chapter, Exodus chapter 40. And we want to see the same scenario played out in the sanctuary. Okay, that's Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we want to look at verse number 40. Okay, now here's what we read in Exodus chapter 40. And when we want to look at verse number 24. Now the Bible says here, and he put the candlesticks. In the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the table necklace, uh, uh, southward. Now this word candlesticks, it should have been, uh, the menorah, uh, the menorah, it was a seven branch apparatus and it had seven branches and on the top of each branch, according to Exodus 40 verse 25, it said. And he lighted the lamps before uh, Yehoah as the Lord commanded uh, Moses, as Yehoah commanded Moses. So here I want you to get the picture. When he set up the sanctuary, the sanctuary also had a pattern of what we call the pneumos aqua and the aqua pneumos. In other words, when Elohim approaches us. He approaches us from the standpoint of the spirit first. Now, what we notice here, it says in verse 25 of Exodus 40, it says, and he lighted the lamps before Yahuwah. Okay. He lighted the lamps. In other words, the way that the sanctuary was set up, that you had the tabernacle and inside the tabernacle, were two apartments. You had the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and you had the Shekinah glory and the cherubims on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So on top of the Ark of the Covenant was two cherubims on both end, or one on one end of the Ark of the Covenant, and another cherub on the other end. And in between, where the wings arched up up over uh, the Ark of the Covenant, we have between there what we call the Shekinah glory. That was where Elohim himself was. And so that was in that compartment. And then right in front of the Ark of the Covenant was a veil. And I understand from Josephus, it was about 18 feet. In height, and it separated what we call the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was from the holy place now when we get into the holy place uh, coming from if we were coming from the most holy place on our right as we are facing as we are facing uh, as we are facing the west as we are facing the west coming we will see on our right well, immediately when we come out of the uh, most holy place, we have the altar of burnt incense, which was read right on the other side of the ark by the veil. See, the veil separated it, but read right on the other side of the veil by the ark was the altar of incense. And then when we come out uh, by the altar of incense, we notice to the, to the right, it was the seven branch. Menorah that had the seven lamps. Okay. And let us let us go to the book of Revelation to find out also what the seven lamps represented. Okay, now the Bible says here in Revelation, and we're looking at chapter chapter four. Okay, Revelation chapter four, and we look at verse number five. So we want to find out what did what did these lamps represent. And the Bible says, and out of the throne proceed. Proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. So the Bible says there was seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Now, usually when we look at a throne in this particular point, we're not talking about the throne in the most holy place, but we're talking about the thrones that were on the table of showbread. Okay. Because when you came out of the most holy place, and you look to your left, you would see this table of showbread. That's where one of their thrones were located on that table. But if you look directly across on your right and directly across from the table of showbread, you would see the lampstands. And they, these lampstands had seven lamps, and they were burning, according to the book of Revelation. And then it tells us in verse 5, it says that these seven lamps that were burning it says, which are the seven spirits of Elohim. So in other words, the lamps themselves represent Holy Spirit of Elohim. Okay. So in other words, when Yeshua came down from glory, he no doubt came down through where the most holy place from the holy, from the most holy place to the holy place. And he had pass the seven lamps. And he says, they represents the Holy Spirit. So what we're pointing out here is the way that the sanctuary is laid out is that Elohim approaches us from his Holy Spirit first, which is the lamps. Okay. This is why David says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So the word is represented by the lamp and the Holy Spirit is represented by the lamp. So this means that when Elohim starts with us, uh, he has to start with the lamp, which is his word, and also when we look at Exodus, we notice not only where the lamps are, but when we look at Exodus chapter forty and verse thirty, no, notice what it says. Okay, now we've already looked at the 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 uh, lamps, which represented the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible says in Exodus forty verse thirty, and he said the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. So what we're looking at here is simply that he has a, when you come out of the first apartment of the tabernacle, which they call the holy place, you come into the courtyard. And when you come into the courtyard, what you see is a labor. Okay. So the first piece of furniture you would observe when you came out of this uh, the first apartment sanctuary would be the labor which contains the water okay just like when Israel came from the passover the first uh, water they came to was the red sea that was divided by the east wind. So when they came out, that's what they had was the water okay but now that was way Elohim was approaching man from the lampstands to the labor now, how did man uh how how did man come okay let's read verse 25 in verse 25 of exodus 40 verse 25 now we read that verse we we want we want to uh, look at verse 30 is it said that he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and that was the tent of the congregation was where the lamps uh, stands that represents the holy spirit were And then it says, uh, he said, the labor between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. Now, the altar was where the sacrifice was. You see, when you come into the gate of the courtyard, into the courtyard of the sanctuary, the first piece of furniture you would see would be the altar. And so, when man came in with that animal sacrifice, he had to first get the blood. And once he got the blood, Then he had to go to the altar to wash off the blood of the animal sacrifice so they can be put on the altar. So what we are seeing here is that when you go into the court of the sanctuary, the animal was slain, you got its blood, and then you wash it off in the water. And when you wash it off into the water, no doubt the water turned kind of reddish, okay, because you're washing off the blood. But what we are seeing is here, Man starts with the blood and move to the water. Elohim starts with the light of the lampstands and moves toward the water. So in other words, when we look at the furniture and how it's placed in the sanctuary, when man comes in to deal with Elohim, he has to first come by the what? The sacrifice of the blood and then move to the water to wash away, just like we do in baptism. And then when Elohim or or Jehoah comes, he comes by way of the lampstands, which is the Holy Spirit, then to the water. And that's where we meet together. Man who has been cleansed and Elohim who has a spirit can meet together and redemption can be formed. All right, let's deal with one more scenario and then we'll wrap it up. Let us go to the book of John. Let us go to the gospel of John. In the in John the Gospel, we want to look at the third chapter and see if we can see the same pattern that we have seen in creation, restoration, exodus, and also the sanctuary. We'll look at the same pattern and see that same pattern. Okay. Now, when we turn to uh, John chapter uh, chapter uh, eight, okay. Now we want to see how. How uh, the pneumos aqua? Okay, we want to see where the spirit is, and then the water, and then we want to start with man to see where the blood is, and then the water. Okay, so let's start. Let's start at uh, at the uh, at uh, John chapter three, and we will to start with the verse eight. Uh, here he says he's talking to Nicodemus by night. And he says, The wind bloweth where it listens. In other words, the wind blow, bloweth where it will, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst thou tell from which it cometh and whether it goeth? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Elohim is landed out here. That when he starts with you, he's going to start with the Spirit. So you got to have that Spirit, okay? All right. And then. Uh, the Bible says here in John 3, 5, notice what it says. And Yeshua answered verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water. Okay, he said, except a man be born of the water. So the water is the next step that Elohim is going to go to. But this verse is going to explain some more stuff. So again, we can see Elohim is starting with the spirit. Okay, where does man start? Okay, let's look at John 3, 14. In John 3.14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? So when we look at Yeshua being lifted up on the cross, he's telling Nicodemus, uh, just to show you, that so I'm talking to you here, it's going to come a time they're going to lift up the Son of Man. And if you believe in him, then you will not perish. Okay? So, what we're looking at is the crucifixion. In other words, he is telling Nicodemus, if you're going to be born again, you have to first start with the crucifixion. And once you start with the crucifixion, then you're going to go back to verse 5, which says, and Yeshua answered, verily I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water. Okay, so in other words, you've already accepted the blood. He said, now you have to be... uh, Born of the water. And the water is repenting. In other words, it's saying you're sorry for your sins. And your sins are now being washed away. And so Yeshua says, now once you're being born of the water, then you will also be born of the spirit. Okay. So remember that when Yeshua, that when Elohim was approaching you, he started approaching you with the spirit by the water so when he got to the water he was already there waiting to give you his spirit and so when you accepted his blood and you came to the water he was right there to be able to baptize to be able to baptize you with the holy spirit when you came out of the water so what we're saying here that he was telling Nicodemus is that Yahweh is coming to us over the water with the Spirit waiting for us to go down and to be baptized of the water. And then he says, once you are baptized of the water, then when you come up, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, he's saying, Elohim moves toward the water with his spirit. And when we move toward the water with the blood, then our lives are clean through his blood and our repentance, our sins are washed away through the water. Then we clasp hands with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit from that point on continues to lead us through life with the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, we're going to stop there. And if there's any questions, observation, or concern, we'll deal with that at this time. Just
0: powerful the water, the spirit, and the blood. Mm hmm. Um, what's, what's interesting is I never really thought of Yahuwah baptizing the earth during the flood and basically washing away the sins mm-hmm. like it's done in regular baptism when we do it, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was a uh, very interesting because I don't
1: okay, it.
0: Oh, I just want to say, I just don't think we look at it that way.
1: No, we don't. Uh, we look at it rather from a limited sense. Now, I'm glad you 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 brought up an excellent point right there that you said, that during the time of Noah, uh, that he baptized the whole earth in water. Okay. Uh-huh. But what we must see uh, even, even further, that's what I was telling you, when we first started our study, I was saying that One of the focal verses that we should understand is Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 2, when it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. So what we see here, in addition to your point, that the whole world was baptized as water, but what we must also understand is this, is that the world started off already baptized in water Mm -hmm. see because the earth was underneath the waters until elohim later on separated the waters from the from the waters so in other words this world started off in baptism wow and when it went astray he had to baptize it again in order to get the dove and the olive leaf to bring it back to where where it ought to be so what we are seeing is a universal baptism And oftentimes what we focus on is just the baptism of the individual. Yeah.
0: Another thing that I found interesting is that when you said that, and I think most people do view it as they view baptism as just a ritual act that they go through to become a member of the church Mm -hmm. or an organization, as Mm -hmm. opposed to as an act of renewing yourself washing yourself and coming back to yahuwah but i think it's more of approached as oh you must get baptized in order to be a member of this organization church or however you want to call it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah well a lot of the teachings has been adulterated by baptism and matter of fact some churches even uh look at it from a statistic standpoint if you baptize so many souls You know, you get a reward in doing this. And sometimes that is okay, but sometimes it takes away from the significance of baptism. Mm -hmm. It's in other words, you're just doing it uh, in order to boost your records of how many you have baptized. While that is important, the most important thing is that the baptism is a cleansing whereby Elohim is saying, you are starting anew with me and you have repented of your old sins. And now I'm giving you the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to lead you in a life of sanctification. See, while it's okay to get the numbers, but we should not just be left with the numbers. But with the sanctification process is really what we're looking for. Because if we deal with numbers, we might come up short because in the time of Noah, during the baptism, only eight people were saved. Elohim is concerned with Numbers, but if Numbers doesn't reach the sanctification process, then it's no good just to have Numbers without the sanctification. Mm.
0: Wow. Now, I do have one question. Now, you mentioned that the dove, uh, in before it land, it has to be a clean place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why uh, Noah sent the dove out
1: yeah, uh-huh. because see, a dove, a dove won't land in a lot of field. A, a raven will, but uh-huh. but not a dove. Wow. Okay. Well, and, that's, uh-huh. and that's why uh, Elohim is trying to get a clean church. He's trying to get a clean people. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, is trying to find some place to land. Yeah. And uh, if we could, if we can find that place, if you can find that place to land, we can bring this work to a conclusion. But we got to allow the full manifestation of the power of the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. to take full possession of
0: us. Yeah. well, you know, it's interesting since I've been reading too, and I think this plays into the 144,000 is that I believe he's doing this currently as we speak. He is searching a lot of our hearts Mm -hmm. to see where it's at and how I think it says in the scripture, how, he's going to turn his people from having a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. And I think all of this plays in together that he's looking for his chosen that once he brings us together to be an example to the world, to show him what type of Elohim he is, as opposed mm-hmm. to what Satan is doing nowadays, you know, trying to show that he's the, the savior. this world and whatnot Mm -hmm. yeah but this was a very good uh uh discourse today you know it's Mm -hmm. a lot of interesting things that we can dwell and study even further Mm -hmm. yeah well with that we'll move on to our (laughs) next section okay
1: next is let's talk about that (laughs)
0: So this week, I want to talk about, and let's talk about the Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew. As I've been working at the different jobs i worked throughout the years, and I've met with different people, and I tell them I can't work or do business on Shabbat, they always ask me, well, why can't you? Everybody else do. I mean, I go to church on Sunday, and, you know, after church, you know, if I have to work, I work. So one of the reasons I tell them, you know, is number one, is part of the Bible. You see in Scripture, in the Ten Commandments, Yahuwah wrote it in there. Well, he didn't write it, but he did state to Moses in the Ten Commandments that, to remember the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to really think, well, I put it like this. When I was younger, I didn't really have a total appreciation for Shabbat because I think as sometimes we are told to do things, but we really don't understand what what we're doing. But as I've gotten older, I have understood the whole meaning behind keeping Shabbat. Number one, I think it's a time that we can reflect and connect with the Most High because during the week is real difficult when you are busy. I mean, he went through six days where he built this world. And I can only imagine putting together this world to strain the stress that came with it. I mean, even though he is Yahuwah. But I think he wanted to set precedents for us as a people that, okay, you have six days, but I want you to relax. I want you to take it easy. And I think a lot of times... People don't understand and think of Shabbat as a day of rest, a relaxation, a day of rejuvenation, you know. So, that I want to ask you, um, I know before you became an Adventist and you were of another religion going on Sunday, what was it about Shabbat that attracted you that you said, OK, this is why I want to keep it?
1: Well, um, I'm gonna answer that in two ways because me and your sister, we were talking about that the other day, okay? Mm-hmm. okay, let me let me just start here is the fact that I was a Baptist, and as I was a Baptist, uh, they really never taught anything about a, a Sabbath. It was only assumed that you went to church on sunday mm-hmm. i never really got a teaching about even sunday being the sabbath it was just i brought i was brought up in it and as i observed uh, i just followed in that in that path but once i was told that we were to keep the sabbath which was saturday which was the seventh day of the week I came into a knowledge of it because at that time I was actually in a Baptist church. Uh, but while I was in the Baptist church uh, for many years, I had not really been going to church. But as a result of meeting meeting a certain uh, girlfriend and I found out her parents, they were uh, in the church. So I figured that in order to see her, I had to. Confess some type of religion. So I went back to my Baptist roots and I started studying in that for a while. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. there was a tent that appeared in our neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And they were preaching about the Sabbath and I said, well, I've never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. And so I came into a knowledge of it. And then when I checked it out in the Bible, I said, this, this is true. But while I was trying to make up a decision, one of the people, that was under the tent that I was attending each night, he came up to me and took my own Bible now. This is the Bible I had. Uh-huh. And he showed me in the back of my Bible uh, about the days of the week. He said, see, here in your Bible, it talks about the seven days of the week and it points out the seven. I said, "Huh?" Hmm. he's pointing out in my own Bible <laughs> about what the man's been preaching. Uh-huh. And I saw there was no disput- disputation on that. So I said, and I went back to the Baptist church where uh, we was keeping Sunday. And I told the minister, and I said, you know, I learned that the seven day Adventist church got the right s- Sabbath. And he said, no, he said, no, that organization uh, doesn't have it. What they are. Uh, they If you worship on a Saturday, he said, you worship on the eighth day. I said, no, 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 no. I said, let's. <laughs> I said, no, let's let's not go there. I said, (laughs) there aren't but seven days in a week. I said, you know that. I said, ain't but seven days. So he had to back off of that. So I I was a deacon in the church at the time. So I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm going to have to follow truth where I see it. Mm -hmm. And so I told him I'm going to turn in my key because I was one of the deacons of the church. Mm -hmm. I said, because I have to follow the Sabbath because it's in his word, but Sunday is not in there. And so his wife... At the time, uh, she was in a TV institution, but mind you, before she went into the T V institution, mm-hmm. uh, she was teaching me a lot about the Bible. Matter of fact, she was one of the one that taught me how to fast and I, and I took it from there. But the fact is when she went into the TV institution and she found out that I had left the church and I came back by her house and, and when I got into her presence, uh, and she wanted to know, you know, why did I lead the church? And I and I told her, I said, well, I said, let me explain it to you. And she said, no, I don't want to hear it. And I thought she had, I thought she had put me down because I'm saying here we were good friends and I was friend of her family and everything. And then she said she didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then the next words out of her mouth was this. And I guess she saw some sincerity in what I was saying. She told me. She said, Richard, the only thing that I'm concerned about is that you take take it for a touchdown for Jesus Christ. She said, that's all I'm concerned about. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And she was satisfied w- with that answer. And so I went on to keep keep the Sabbath. And as I went on to keep the Sabbath, uh, as I was saying earlier, Nan and Chica was talking. And when I... Uh, Notice that when I was growing up in Chicago, it's strange. I don't, I don't know how the Lord worked this way. It was strange. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, I, you know, just as a kid, I would go outside. And so if it wasn't any playmates out there or anything, uh, i just go out there and play by myself and do little things outside. But I noticed on Saturday, which, which was different from any other day of the week, mm-hmm. I felt something about Saturday that was just different. I couldn't put my hands on it. And if you asked me to explain it today, I couldn't explain it. But I just knew out of all of the days of the week, when it came to Saturday, it seems like it was different. Mm-hmm. And over the years, as I've kept the Sabbath, I look back to what I thought was the difference. And I believe Elohim back there was trying to impress me with the Holy Spirit. That with that strangeness that you're feeling is the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I felt it. I just felt it. I just felt to something different and occasionally, even on the Sabbath, when I'm by myself, mm-hmm. I can feel it's a difference about this day. True. If you ask me to explain, I can't explain it. If you ask me to articulate, I can't articulate. Mm-hmm. I just know it feels like it was a difference. So when I look at my childhood experience and then coming into the knowledge of it, uh, then I began to appreciate the Sabbath.
0: Yeah, you know, and Another thing is I feel there are health aspects to keeping Shabbat. Because Uh I know for me personally, when I've worked a rough week, I can only imagine what it would be like if I'm working seven days a week with no day off. I mean, one, it's going to tax my mind as well as my body. Uh And, you know, to me, Shabbat is a day that I can just – relax and rejuvenate and let my body regenerate. And I think it's almost to the same thing when you're supposed to let the land rest after seven years. Uh-huh. And all to rejuvenate, to uh-huh. bring all the things that is lost back. But I think, you know, we we so busy caught up in this world with all these distractions, with uh, all the, you know, I got to work. I got to pay my bills and everything rather than say, you know, let me try and do what Yahuwah asks of me and let him take care of me rather than we try to do ourselves, take care of ourselves. Cause we can only uh-huh. do so much uh-huh. when we got a Supreme being. That's like, I got power to do anything. That's right. But you're not giving me a chance because you don't have that faith and that belief in me. So I'm going to let you go ahead on and do what you continue to do and wear yourself out. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah, another thing that we have to look at about the, the Shabbat is the fact that uh, Elohim had designed that we should rest every seven days. Mm-hmm. And he's also designed that every seven years, the land should rest. And then he said every... Uh, 49th year would be the jubilee and they celebrated on the 50th year Mm -hmm. in other words if you look at his creation it's in increments of 7 so he made us with a certain rhythm in the universe he made the planet with a certain rhythm that we should let the soil rest every 7th day and every 7th year it should rest and he had this built into nature and the way he built man was that man should rest every seventh day and he should be able to recycle his body every uh, seventh day in a what we what we call recreation but true recreation is to be able to restore the body back to a normal situation whereby your strength your powers and your abilities are being renewed. That's what you call mm-hmm. true recreation. See, but we have taken the word recreation to mean that you go and play some sport or something like that. That's that's yeah, yeah. that's that's one form, but to true recreation, if you look at the word, it has R E C R E A T mm-hmm. recreate or C R E A T I O N. So when you talk talk about recreation are you talking about recreation or recreation right. recreation is identified with just you know drinking smoking everything you 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 know you do stuff like that yeah. but recreation the true recreation is recreation of you recreate your mind your body mm-hmm. and your spirit wow. and so when you come into the next week you are ready for the challenges of the next week because Everything has been restored again. So when you allow your body to go according to the rhythms that Elohim has made the body mm-hmm. to go from one to six, and then you rest. Even in, even if you're going to make music, in order to have good music, one of the things that you have to appreciate about music is that when you get to the rest note, you have to rest. Mm-hmm. And then you start your beat again. On the piano, you have rest notes and then you start your music again. And that's what makes the music. And what makes the harmony of the body is that you work for so long and then you rest. Then you start again and you rest. And that helps the harmony of the body to be able to be recreated in such a way that you can have the maximum amount of health.
0: Mm -hmm. But you know how you mentioned about the rhythm of the earth. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder was that rhythm was put in us when he formed us from the ground up the earth. Because I would think he had already put that rhythm into the earth when he created the earth. Mm-hmm. And so as he formed us from that earth, that rhythm is incorporated into us too.
1: Yeah, well, see what you see when he made the earth, uh, he's such a great Elohim. Mm-hmm. Do you know if Elohim had not, taking the plants and muffle their sound in the earth that when plants grow, they are making so much noise that it would pop our eardrums. But the way Elohim has built the earth is that when things grow, they grow silently because the earth acts as a buffer of the sounds Mm. so that our eardrums would not burst for all of the sounds that is going on, especially in the springtime when things are germinating. If Elohim would allow those sounds to come forth, we, we wouldn't be able to stand it. Okay. And so what he what he did, he built the rhythm into the earth. But then when he made man, he still put the rhythm within man. Mm-hmm. If you notice, all you got to do in order to listen to the rhythm of man is to put your hand on his heart. It said boom, 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 boom. But between the boom, boom and the throbbing of the heart, what do you have? You have a rest. The heart beats and it rests. It beats and it rests. Wow. So what we see the rhythm is built into the universe is built into the earth is built into animals is built into the human body and everything pulsates with the love of Elohim by the beat that he has been able to place in there now what we must keep in mind is this is that Elohim's creation is what we call a phonetical creation it's a phonetical in other words he brought in existence by sound the things that he wanted Mm -hmm. so when he speaks to man man has to respond to that sound and if man respond to the sound correctly to the word that he speaks to man then man uh puts himself where elohim can give him the best of health but if he goes against that sound that has created him he can go against his own health so it's something that is built into us by our creator. And as we understand sound, sound can be the very thing that can help us to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. This is why sometimes when we pray, we pray out loud uh, to get that rhythm and that sound in our bodies. And when we pronounce his name, Yahuwah and Elohim and some of the original names, then those are sounds of Elohim. And when they sounds get into us, they can be redemptive. This is why when Yeshua walked the earth, he could speak to a disease and the disease had to leave because the power of sound Mm -hmm. through the human voice can rebuke disease if we do it according to the way Yeshua wants us to do it. So we must understand that there's a rhythm that is built into us by Elohim himself. Wow.
0: Wow. Well, I think on that note, Pastor, can you give us a word to take us home.
1: Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we had another session that we can be able to contemplate that when we were baptized or anticipating on getting baptized, that when we meet you at the water, we can give you the blood of the life of Yeshua and let prove that we have been cleansed by his blood. And then you can bestow upon us the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be the children that you would have us to be. Daily, being led by your Holy Spirit and daily living out the lifeblood of Yeshua, the way he lived, the things he taught and the things he did. And as your Holy Spirit illuminate those things in our lives, it would help others to see that we are living by the principles of truth. Bless each listener. Bless those, O Heavenly Father, who have been consistent in listening to the messages that you would go into their lives, O Heavenly Father, and give them the prosperity and the things that they need. Giving them protection from all hurt, harm, and danger. Continue to guide them in the Torah. That they may walk in all of the things that you have said. And as they continue to grow and grow in the truth, they may grow into being what Yeshua would happen to be. That when he does come, he can find that they are faithful individuals that he can take back with him. Now bless us this day, bless us this week, and continue to lead us with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Yeshua's name we do ask it and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen Amen.
0: and amen. Amen. Well, this week, I'm going to end this podcast a little differently. You know, these past two years, I have really been reading the scriptures like I've never done before in the search of truth and understanding of the scriptures. I've even started reading the Apocrypha and other books that are considered lost, although some of these books are previously in the Bible, but were taken out of the current Bible. Some disregard these books. Some accept these books. All of us, all of this is just a matter of opinion. But we do have to be careful. Yes, but I do believe we have to be careful of how we interpret what we read in current scripture. But as I thought about what I was reading, I began to think, what is the standard should I go by to see if these books are possible, possibly valid? But also I began to think, what should I go by to see if my walk with Elohim is valid? And Yahuwah spoke to me and said, the law, the Torah, should be the standard that you govern everything in our lives. So when I began reading these books, I had to ask myself, do these books point me to the Torah? And if they do, then I should have no problem with it. But if they do not point me to the Torah, then I should be very skeptical of what I was reading and put it away. But then I also started to think about everyday life. The Torah is how I should be governing my life by, not just to buy the books. I should be judging my relationships with others by the law, my job, what I listen to, what I watch on television. If I was a part of religion, judging that by the law, what I eat, what I say, how I deal with others, Every part of my life should be judged by Elohim's Torah. If my relationships are not abiding by his law or my job, my hobbies are not abiding by his law, then I need to abandon it in favor of Elohim's laws because his laws govern everything in our lives, even our holidays. If a holiday you celebrate is not according to the law, then you need to really ask yourself, should I be celebrating it? One thing when we start judging everything by his law and keeping it, then our lives will start to change. And I personally can attest to this. Using the Torah as a measuring stick to how we go about living will set us on a new path, a path to a closer relationship with El Elyon, the most high God and on a pathway to righteousness that will lead to YAH's glory. But know this as we begin to judge our lives according to the Torah it will not be easy because Satan will ramp up his attacks upon you. You may lose your job, a friend, a family member, money, many other things in this life that keep you discouraged from keeping Elyon's law. But as it states in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahuwah and the righteousness is of me, says Yahuwah. He will protect us and see that we make it in this life as we strive for the eternal kingdom. That job you lost because you decide to keep his law, Yah gives you a better one. That friend you lost, he gives you a better one. That money you lost, he gives you even more. You love him and he loves you, but He has to see you have the love for him by keeping his law with a just heart. And I challenge you as I challenge myself to live the Torah, love the Torah. But most of all, remember your creator and how much he loves you. And he gives you so many chances to get it right with him because he wants to spend the eternal life with you. I'm Boyce. And this is the Science of the Covenant podcast. Feel free to email us at the science of the covenant at gmail.com with your questions and your comments until next week. Shalom.